If you have a Bible this morning and you want to read with us, we're going to take a reading from the book of Acts chapter 12. But I would like to make some preliminary comments before <clears throat> we read the scripture. <clears throat> Excuse me. My, as with everyone, my allergies are <clears throat> difficult this morning. Again, Acts chapter 12, and we'll read in verse 1 through verse 19, but I'd like to say a few things before we do. Like you, um, I am concerned about the things going on in the world. Um, I'm sure like you, I'm probably looking at the news a little more often, and I have... um, great sympathies for all the people who are right now directly involved in this conflict. And if I were, if I did not know the Lord, I would be worried, frankly. Because in truth, you can listen to all the experts and intelligence agencies and listen to all the predictions But we don't know what tomorrow holds. It's been said before that during a time of war, the only vote that matters is the enemies. Or in other words, it doesn't matter if every country on the planet doesn't want war. If one country does, then the world is in war. And I don't say that in a fear-mongering way. That's not my uh, intent this morning. But it's to face reality for what it is. I, <clears throat> part of my degree is in history. And um, I remember coming to a rather, for me, profound revelation as I was reading history. And um, as I had to teach it in the high school level, I noticed that it seemed like war lasted all the time as you look through history. And that's not an understatement, or excuse me, an overstatement. I mean, it was all the time. And my entire life, I began to recognize as sort of an anomaly to that trend. That we have had wars in, of course, Afghanistan and Iraq, but not the same type that has been fought throughout history. Not all consuming. You and I still, for the most part, lived our day-to-day lives and occasionally gave attention to what was going on. But I always expected, and this I don't think is the pessimist, it's just understanding the way the world works, that my life will not always be this peaceful. And for those of us that know the Lord... Our salvation and security in Him becomes more um, more real. Thank you. Uh, more depended upon, more valued, perhaps. That for us, the future, though uncertain, and though there are many things we don't want to come to pass, the most important part is secured. 
And the cascading effect that that has on everything else in my life, I could not overstate. If tomorrow World War III breaks out and fighting is done on our soil, there's still a deep peace that resonates, that I can cling to, that is not found in those who are lost. And no amount of We call it blowing smoke, right? No amount of promises, assurances that I can give them will ever weigh as much as the assurance of knowing the Lord. Because the reality is the death rate is one to one. You're going to die. It's just a matter of when. And some scriptures we're going to look at today are going to We're going to try to really emphasize to you how though things come and go for us in an unexpected manner, and though we try to forecast and anticipate and find a blueprint or a magic formula to help navigate and control the future, in reality, those are constructs of our own mind. God alone knows the future, and God has power to do what he will in the future. And he is the only one that has that power. None of us can give any assurances about anything. I've thought a lot about some of our investor people in the congregation and how a lot of your job right now is to give assurances. Calm. And certainly there's some some need for that, and I'm not saying we need to all run around panicking. But in the same sense, those assurances are based upon man's knowledge, man's wisdom. I'm thankful today that we have a God who is in control. Whose purposes may be different than ours. And we may see that in some of these scriptures today. I I hope if you're lost this morning that these times would concern you because they should. But that you would find the confidence that we that are saved do in the Lord alone. Acts chapter 12, beginning in verse 1, it says this. Now about that time, Herod the king stretched forth his hand to vex certain of the church. And he killed James, the brother of John, with the sword. Because because he saw it pleased the Jews, he proceeded further to take Peter also. Then were the days of unleavened bread. And when he had apprehended him, he put him into prison and delivered him to four quaternions of, of soldiers to keep him, intending after Easter to bring him forth to the people. Peter, therefore, was kept in prison, but prayer was made without ceasing of the church unto God for him. And when Herod would have brought him forth, the same night Peter was sleeping between two soldiers, bound with two chains, and the keepers before the door kept the prison. And behold, the angel of the Lord came upon him, and a light shined in the prison, and he smote Peter on the side and raised him up, saying, Arise up quickly. And his chains fell off from his hands. And the angel said unto him, Gird thyself and bind on thy sandals. And so he did. And he saith unto him, Cast thy garment about thee, and follow me. 
And he went out and followed him, and wist not that it was true which was done by the angel, but thought he saw a vision. When they were past the first and the second ward, they came into the iron gate that leadeth into the city, which opened to them of his own accord, and they went out and passed on through one street, and forthwith the angel departed from him. And when Peter was come to himself, he said, Now I know of a surety that the Lord hath sent his angel, and hath delivered me out of the hand of Herod, and from all the expectation of the people of the Jews. When he had considered the thing, he came to the house of Mary, the mother of John, whose surname was Mark, where many were gathered together praying. And as Peter knocked at the door of the gate, a damsel came to hearken, named Rhoda. And when she knew Peter's voice, she opened not the gate for gladness, but ran in and told how Peter stood before the gate. And they said unto her, Thou art mad. But she constantly affirmed that it was even so. Then they said, it is, it is his angel. But Peter continued knocking, and when they had opened the door and saw him, they were astonished. But he, beckoning unto them with the hand to hold their peace, declared unto them how the Lord had brought him out of the prison. And he said, Go show these things unto James and to the brethren. And he departed and went into another place. Now as soon as it was day, there was no small stir among the soldiers what was become of Peter. And when Herod had sought for him and found him not, he examined the keepers and commanded that they should be put to death. And he went down from Judea to Caesarea and there abode. I'm just going to read to the end of the chapter. And Herod was highly displeased with them of Tyre and Sidon. But they came with one accord to him and, having made Blastus the king's chamberlain their friend, desired peace because their country was nourished by the king's country. And upon a set day, Herod, arrayed in royal apparel, sat upon his throne and made an oration unto them. And the people gave a shout, saying, It is the voice of a God and not of a man. And immediately the angel of the Lord smote him, because he gave not God the glory. And he was eaten of worms and gave up the ghost. But the word of God grew and multiplied. And Barnabas and Saul returned from Jerusalem, when they had fulfilled their ministry and took with them John, whose surname was Mark. The title of our message this morning is God's Power and Purpose. God's Power and Purpose. I suppose if I had an aim this morning, it is to temper the hearts of Christians but not in a normal way. Normally, when my children come, and they even have about this conflict come and concern and ask questions, and our natural reaction is, it's all going to be okay. And thereby, our tone, our body language, our words, transmit a sense of calm. I don't want to do that this morning. Because the reality is we don't know. We just don't. We don't know if everything's going to be okay or not. But if our dependence on our reaction, or if our reaction rather is dependent upon circumstance, then I think we're falling prey to what immature Christians fall to. That when prospects look good, then we're going to be calm, we're going to rest in that prediction of what the future holds, and when things look bad, then we're going to give in to panic. Now listen, that's the way of the world. 
That's the way of people who don't know what we know and don't have what we have. Is to allow circumstance to govern our hearts and their condition and furthermore our reaction to whatever might transpire. This morning, I would rather like to give you a a sense of calm and peace by saying, I know that whatever happens, God has a purpose and he has power to control it. That's where the calm is found. Is that in everything, God has a purpose. None of these things that are unexpected to us None of these things that are causing a disequilibrium in the world. None of these things that's that's causing the world to take a deep breath. Or for those in Ukraine and those in Russia, for all the upheaval that's occurring in their life. None of those things are outside the purview of God's purposes. Now very often there is a sense to which Christians can fall guilty to a certain line of thinking. And that line of thinking involves something like this. If something bad seems like it's going to come upon you, and then suddenly at the last moment, it does not occur, then God intervened and protected us. That God had a purpose for me, right? And so he did all of this thing to intervene, which... I'm not going to negate this morning. That certainly is true. But let's say this morning that God did not intervene. Was it any less of his purpose? Was it any less of his power? No. Now what I think is amazing about Acts chapter 12 is it's almost as if the writer, God through his Holy Spirit, writing through the the author Luke, is going to tell us this wonderful story about Peter's deliverance. But before he does, he has to push the brakes and show us that this is not necessarily a cause effect thing. This is not necessarily a blueprint for how we need to live and, and set our expectations Because he tells us at the very beginning of this situation, James died. Now, again, we're going to get to here in a few minutes about how Peter is in prison and all these things are about to happen to him. And then it says, but prayer was made by the church. And then there was deliverance. And certainly I would not. The Bible teaches us that some things come about only by prayer and fasting. I know that our prayers make a difference. I know that our prayers, when they advance to the throne of God, God responds as a result of his people praying. And so I'm not going to dismiss that this morning, but I want to hold that with one hand as I hold in the other hand the realization that sometimes God's purposes trump or thwart the desires of our prayers. God is determined that something is going to happen. And that is why our prayers must always be seasoned, completely filled with the same words that Jesus preached, both as he was in the Garden of Gethsemane, in the Lord's Prayer, Lord, not my will be done, but thy will be done. Or as he said in the Lord's Prayer, have those things done in heaven, done on earth. So Lord, 
In other words, I say this, Lord, this is what I want. But ultimately, I know your purposes will be more advantageous to me than what I want. Will be more advantageous for the world as a whole. Will be more advantageous for the one that I pray for. And so, Lord, I am not going to cling so tightly to what I want that I will not give deference to your will. I will. I will do that. I think of a, a verse in uh, what is it? Proverbs chapter 19 and verse, I believe it's verse 21 here. It says this. There are many devices in a man's heart. Nevertheless, the counsel of the Lord, that shall stand. This morning we look at this text and we see that, I want you to keep in mind, James dies. Remember that, because we're going to come back to that. Here we see this, this man, Herod. This was the Agrippa we read about in Acts chapter 26. This is his son. This is Agrippa the first. And as you read through history of Agrippa the first, we'll know that he was a highly political man. He was always trying to find an angle trying to find a way to get to an advantage. And so we see that this man had an intent, and it was a political intent. What he recognized was this. He went and he saw that those people whom he was governing, he would fall into into their good graces, and they would be obedient to his rule if he would squelch this movement called the way, or Christians. And so he caught James, And he caught some of the other disciples and he cast them into prison. And James being one of those leaders, he puts them to death and he realizes this really satisfies these people I'm trying to rule. So now let me catch Peter. And so he catches the other leader of those people and he puts them in prison and he's ready to put him to death. He's just waiting until after the Passover because I believe he wants to make as public of a spectacle of Peter as he possibly can so as to satisfy that group of Jews that he's trying to satisfy. And so he has this angle in what he is trying to do. Now, I was reminded this week as I was considering this text about how very often when we see dramatic events happen in the world like this, we all search for an angle to analyze it by. I imagine in my mind a cube box. And in that cube box, instead of having something like cardboard making that box, I want you to imagine it as a lens by which we see events or by which we see people. And so we look at one side of the box and we look what's inside through that lens. And there are certain ways, so you might look at it from a historical perspective. And you see all these different things unfolding as you analyze it through that lens. And then you take it and you flip it over and you look at it through a modern political lens. And you're trying to understand what's going to happen. You look at it from an economic sense today. You look at it and you take it and you observe this event as all of us are doing. And we're looking at all these different angles. But in reality, God, as he did here has a wholly different purpose than what anybody is considering at the present time. You see, he had a certain angle by which he was going at this. He was going to try to put him to to death, get in good standing with the Jews to hopefully expand his power within the Roman government. God had all different intentions with all this. You see, many are the plans of man's heart, but the Lord's counsel, it shall stand. 
I think today, you and I both, nobody in the world knows what's in the heart of Vladimir Putin. We have no idea. Vladimir Putin doesn't even know what's in his heart. But we find throughout history and throughout the Bible that God is able, because of his superior wisdom, to use the decisions of mankind, whatever they are, and for whatever purpose they are given, whatever intentions they have, God can use all of those things to accomplish his broader purpose. Here in this text, we find that they go and they apprehend Peter and they're throwing him in prison and his intent is to do these things. But listen, what God is doing is not just saying, I'm going to save Peter's life because these people prayed so hard. Because if we go back and we look, you remember that one of the, the first one to come in the name of our Lord to prepare his way, as we spoke about earlier uh, last week, was John the Baptist. And when John the Baptist come, he was captured and he was killed. And then there was Jesus. He was captured and he was martyred and betrayed and he was killed. And then we come into the New Testament and we find that, that Stephen was caught and captured and stoned to death. And so, and then here at the beginning of chapter 12, we find that James is the next one. And so in one way, if we're trying to find this blueprint for what's going to do, God's going to do in the future, based on the past, we see that sometimes God allows people to be put to death that are his followers. And other times he allows them to live. Even Jesus himself, there was occasions where he would be speaking to a group of people early in his ministry, early in his ministry, and they would corner him. And they were angry at him. And they were going to stone him. And the Bible says, but his time had not yet come. His time for what? To complete God's purposes. That's what it's talking about. It's not just talking about his death. That was part of it. But in other words, God had more of a purpose for Jesus to play out. And so he's saying, you know what? Yes, they're angry. Yes, they're taking up stones to kill him. But my purpose is not finished yet. And then it says the strangest thing that I can't even comprehend. It says Jesus just passed by them and walked out of the crowd. Like, how does that work? Why didn't Stephen do that? (laughs) Why didn't Stephen just say, you know what? Okay, I'm going to walk through the crowd just like Jesus did. Because Stephen's time had come. He had fulfilled his purpose and was fulfilling his purpose. See, what I'm trying to show you this morning is that as we grasp in times of uncertainty for blueprints, for formulas, for ways to interpret the future, we just can't. We just can't. Why did John the Baptist live or die? Why did Stephen die? Why did Jesus die? Why did James here die? But then why didn't Peter? Why was Peter delivered at this time? Why was Paul delivered later on as he was, uh, he was put down, or I, I believe earlier than this, he was brought down by a basket when they surrounded him and they were going to kill him. He was let down in a basket and was able to escape. Why on another occasion was Paul captured, put into prison, beaten, stoned, and other times he escaped? You see, we can't find some formula to set up and explain all the events of these things. The reality is, as much as we want things that have certainty based on the past, we don't know what the future holds. But God has a plan. 
God has a purpose in allowing things to unfold. James dies at this time, and I believe Peter is preparing to. He's expecting it, I think, is a safe thing to say. He has just watched Stephen die. He is now guarded, and we we begin verse 6, and it's just this incredible description of what's going on in Peter's life. He has been arrested, he is in prison, and 16 soldiers, four groups of four, are responsible for watching him. And listen to how closely that Herod is devoted to killing Peter. Peter's laying sleeping. I would imagine his prayer is not so much like, Lord, rescue me, as much as, Lord, help me to die right. James just died. Now they've got me in the same way. Give me, give me courage to do this the right way. Now remember, we spoke about last week, I believe it was a little bit, James was told he was going to die by Jesus during his life, and it was fulfilled. Peter, might his mind have gone back to when he was told he was going to die? Because Jesus said, you weren't willing to go with me then after his resurrection. You weren't willing to go with me then, but you will. You'll go that way with me again. You'll die for my cause. Now Peter is captured. He's got two soldiers guarding him. He's got two chains binding him. He's in a prison. In front of the prison doors are two guards. Beyond the two guards are two groups of soldiers stationed within this building, within this uh, city that he has to pass by. And then there's a big iron gate at the end of that. So now look at how certain it seems that Herod's schemes are going to pan out just the way he has planned it. I have killed James. I have won the applause of the people. Now I'll kill Peter. I've got him locked down. The Passover is going to be over. And now tomorrow I'm going to bring him out and execute him and only gain more esteem and begin to squelch this rebellion or squelch this movement of people that are causing all of my troubles called the Christians. And then... God's plan completely thwarts all the intricate planning that Herod could do. Peter is awakened. But he's awakened in such a manner. Now, here's what I love about this. I'm a planner. I'm an anticipator. I like to anticipate what's next. A lot of what I do in a day is to anticipate What's going to happen in the next days? Peter is sleeping. I think he's anticipating death. And he's awakened by this angel. But I think it had come. God's providing had come in such an unexpected way, he doesn't know if what's happening is real or not. You ever had something happen like that where it wasn't even in your, like, even the most outlandish assessment or guessing you could do, what happened wasn't even in that ballpark, right? I've thought about all number of things as a planner. I've thought about what would happen if my wife passed away. What would happen if one of my kids died? What would happen if my house burned to the ground? What would happen if all these things happened? You know, it's, it's in my wheelhouse. I just put it there as what would I do? How would I react? What would I need to do next? 
and I've made to some degree provisions for those things. But have you ever had something happen that hits you completely cold? I believe this is what's happening to Peter here. He wakes up and there's this angel that says, come, get on your cloak and follow me. And he can't believe what's happening. And so that's what he does. Is he gets on his cloak and he begins to follow him and, and miraculously these chains just fall off. And these guards stay asleep. And this prison door is opened. And he walks through it and he still is not comprehending, am I dreaming? I mean, that's what the scripture is saying here. It is such an unlikely thing outside of the wheelhouse of Peter's thoughts that he's thinking, is this really happening right now? And as he continues to walk, he passes the first group of Roman soldiers, then the second group of Roman soldiers, and then finally, listen to this, the gate of the city, the entrance place, also the attack place for an enemy. So the gate to a city is not something that you just have a little key and you turn it and you pop it open. It is secured so that the enemy in times of day or night cannot come in. It is completely secured and the Bible says of its own accord, it opened. And he gets out and it finally dawns on him, this was the Lord. God did this. God's purpose was not as I expected to be put to death as James was, but God has more for me. And he runs and he begins to go and tell those people, imagine the new life that you would have, like the new sense of life, the new sense of purpose that you would have when you realize, I thought I was going to die, but now I'm going to live. Peter, I believe, found that. Here in the scripture, I think what we're reading about is man's intentions, but how God's purposes always trump it. Now, what what should the attitude of the Christian be? How should we respond to things that are going on in the world today or things that happen which would perceivably be setbacks? I'll point you to the fact in the very end of this story, there's a few things that are worth noting happens. First of all, those who are complicit in what Herod was doing are put to death or sentenced to death. Those guards who are a part of it are put to death. Secondly, Herod himself is slain by God himself. God says, you know what? You have made yourself out to be like a God. You have allowed these people to credit you as this great man, even so much that they would accredit you to being a God. I have had enough. I am calling you into judgment right this moment. You're dead. And then it says this, the word of God increased. Now, again, here's why I love the book of Acts. Nothing about it is predictable. Nothing about the 12th chapter is predictable whatsoever by the human mind because it is of God's planning and ordaining. And so what do we do as Christians looking back at a narrative like the book of Acts or even a microcosm of that narrative in Acts chapter 12? How do we respond and how does that apply to us today? Here's what we do. We in these times, in these uncertainties, when all the things are going on, we don't pick up our little glass box and try to analyze every different angle of what's happening and what's not happening and how we need to respond and how we need to feel and trying to tell people everything's going to be okay. Here's what the U.S. is going to do. Here's what the allies are going to do. We don't need to do what some of these people do and what Christians, I believe, are, are, are tending to do, and that is try to analyze it all from a human perspective. Here's what we do. We say, Lord, 
your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And when these things are playing, playing out, help my heart to be constantly directed towards you. Comfort, peace is not the end goal. Trusting God is the end goal, and that's a process within itself. Or it's played out over time. In other words, something bad happens tomorrow. We don't all run and quiver. We say, Lord, give me wisdom to know how to live today. Give me opportunity to serve you in the midst of suffering, perhaps even more so than in the midst of prosperity. Why? Why even more so? Because in the midst of suffering, that is the moment where the distinction can be clearly seen by the Christian living according to attitude Christ wants us to have and the lost person who is living according to their circumstance. You can see a profound difference in moments of uncertainty by the way that we trust God, by the way that we live. Lord, if my lot is to be James, and that's part of my story, help me die with grace. Help me die with faith. Help me die knowing, Lord, this was part of your purpose. If your desire is for me to be like Peter, and what an encouraging thing that God shows us here with Peter. I'm not going to say this morning that this situation with Peter is not a little more naturally encouraging than the situation with James. Kind of. Kind of. Right? Why kind of? Well, James wouldn't come back. Right? Like James died and went to heaven as a martyr for the cause of Christ. What do you think his entrance into heaven was like? Do you think that he would give anything to spend another minute, another day, another month down here? Not at all. Do you think he regrets his faithfulness because he ended up dying for it? Oh, much the opposite. What about Peter? From an eternal perspective, he's the one to be lamented. right? Because Paul said this, for me to live is Christ, but to die, it's a gain. What if, let me put this before you. What if turmoil in this world is a gain to us? Right now. What if turmoil from this day forward, what if, and and this would not be an uncommon thing historically, what if the rest of my days are full of hardship? What if the rest of your days are nothing like the previous days you have ever lived? And yet found in them is more discernible by you than it ever was. God's purpose being played out in your life. Would you exchange it? God has a purpose in all things that happen. Remember that this week. Remember that every news report that looks grim. Don't react the way the world does. Cling to our trust that God is allowing things to play out as he sees fit. They're in his control. And remember this. God has the power at any moment to stop or to start anything he wants to do. As inevitable as certain things may seem, 
God holds, the Bible teaches us, that everything in the future, the past, the present, is sustained by the word of his power. The breath of every soldier, of every leader, is held in the palm of God's hand. And at any moment, just like this uncertain circumstance, he can send deliverance as he chooses. Listen, God may choose to not send deliverance, but destruction. God may not choose to bring life. He might bring death. Come what may, the heart of the Christian, I'm trying to encourage you this morning, let our hearts be fixed in his purpose and in his power. Stay there. Don't leave it. I can tell you if you leave it and analyze the world the way everybody else does, you will not have peace. I'm just telling you, you've experienced it. You know better than I do. If you analyze it based on everything, what am I going to do about my income? What am I going to do about the, the stocks in my retirement? What am I going to do about... What if this happens? What if that happens? Here's what we'll do. We'll trust the Lord. That's what we'll do. And perhaps it will be more more believable than it ever has been in our, all of our lives that God, you alone hold tomorrow. Such simplicity and such profound truth at the same time when lived out. Lord, I'm not going to worry this thing away. I'm going to trust you, your power. I'm going to trust your providence. This story it is not a normative. It's not normal. The good guy is always rescued. You know, I think that part of what we anticipate, like we have, we have uh, taken the Disney narrative and we have placed it on the Bible and said, well, the good guy always wins. And the princess always finds her prince charming. The death always goes to the bad guy. No. Victory always goes to the good guy. That's true. Victory is always there. And that's why we have such hope today. Because as Jesus taught us, there's nothing they can do to us. Truly. There is nothing that any enemy, foreign or domestic, can do to my hope in Jesus Christ and the certainty that he holds tomorrow. These aren't empty words. I'm telling you today, that's where my hope is. These aren't, let's just feel better for a week. I mean, no matter what occurs, that's where our hope has to be. And if it remains there, the peace will remain as well. If we'll resign to the fact, like the world has not, that we're going to die. Accept that. You're going to. That's what's going to happen. But oh, how I would love my death to be for a purpose greater than myself. And I would love for my death to be to fall out as, as Paul wrote in Philippians. He said, you know what? This time I was captured. Oh, that one time I was, he didn't say this, but that one time he was let out in a, in a little basket. And he escaped. And that was for the advancement of the, of the gospel. But in Philippians chapter 1, he said, this time I was caught. 
but don't, don't be sad for me. This has only fallen out to the advancement of God's kingdom. And it gives two ways how. Here's what he says. The guards, all the imperial guards, know about Jesus Christ now. Never would have happened had I not been caught and captured. But now the whole imperial guards know about Jesus. And secondly, it has emboldened the brethren. Somehow, they saw Paul's resolve. Have you not felt that way when you've seen these videos of that leader from Ukraine and the resolve that he has? Has it not inspired you naturally? Saying, despite distress, despite the loss of his country, despite the potential loss of life and everything that he has, he has set his life towards, has it not inspired you that he has said, I am not going to quit? I'm not going to lay down. That's exactly what happened to Paul. He said, this is only emboldened the brethren. They see my distress. They see my hardship. And they see that I will not stop preaching the gospel. And so they're going out as heralds saying, you know what? Everyone needs to believe in the crucified and risen Messiah, Jesus Christ. Oh, I would love to live for Christ. But oh, how I would further love to die for him. That my life, that your life, regardless of the future, we find triumph and the ultimate victory of knowing him. Today, I'm going to close. No matter what's ahead. No matter what's ahead. Don't be frenzied. Don't live an anxious, an anxious heart. Trust God's power and providence. Trust. He has a purpose in this. And tell that to others. What an op- You know, the tornado came. And I have found more doors open by that tornado than I ever have in my whole life. I have probably told more people about being saved in the last two months than I ever have in my whole life one-on-one. You know why? Because a tornado has opened a door to their heart. I don't celebrate the loss of life. It was just part of God's purpose. But why not walk through the door? And you know what? In your life, it's the same way. All those years working next door, all those years having an office next to all those people at your job, and all the time wanting a door to open, and now all of a sudden, they come to your door with all the anxieties that this life has to offer. Give them the hope that you're built upon. Maybe this is the door. Maybe this is the time for you to open your mouth and say, you know what? Come what may, this is just showing the difference between people who really trust Christ and people who don't. Today, I hope you'll trust the Lord. At this moment in my moment of time, and I say this with great humility because Who knows what I would do if I was sitting in the middle of Ukraine. I hope that I could have a triumphant faith. I want to have one, but I don't know if I would or not. Let's pray for those people. Pray that God would give that to them. And pray that we would have it. That's our message this morning. I pray that it it could help you. I pray if you're lost this morning, I'll just add this. If you're lost this morning, what I have said does not apply to you. Whatsoever apply to you. Oh, God still has his purpose and his power. But no matter what, you're not necessarily a victor. 
you don't necessarily win. The times of uncertainty should prompt conviction and concern. Because hear me today, and I don't mean to, but to create a nightmare for parents, but it's just reality. You don't know what tomorrow is coming and neither do your parents. And so you would be wise today to seek the Lord until you find him. That's the admonition that Isaiah chapter 55 gives us. It tells us his ways are higher than our ways as the heavens are above the earth. But it also tells us in that same scripture just before it, seek the Lord while he may be found. Call ye upon him while he's near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thought and let him return unto the Lord for he will abundantly pardon. For my ways are not your ways, saith the Lord, nor are my thoughts your thoughts. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your thought ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. Isaiah says, seek the Lord before he says, I've got it all in my power. Lost friend today, that's what you would be wise to do. I pray that you would.